Well, good morning, everybody. Good to be together. You all know, if you know me at all, you all know how I love to make, be made a fuss of. So let's see if we can get through this together. Um, get through the the uh, details fast. So Sunday night, I managed to break a bone in my foot. And because uh, otherwise I'm going to be telling you all one by one by one. I uh, really appreciate the prayers and the concern, uh, the meal that we got the other day. Uh, just, yeah, it's been great to know that uh, we're part of a family. I have to say I've, it's been a very lonely week just not being able to be outside of the house. So it's super cool to be together worshiping with you this morning. I appreciate the opportunity uh, just to be together as a family. I really do. And obviously, as a, it's a treat to be able to preach. So let's see how we go. Uh, two things before we go. Esther, where are you? There you go. Today is the day we get to say goodbye to Esther. So Esther, why don't you stand where you are? So during this year, uh, Esther has been fe- feeling some stirrings in the Lord. And uh, so on behalf of Grace Cove, she went and supported True Life Church in Midrand uh, for about six weeks earlier in the year. She's traveled overseas, uh, all sorts of things, and she's really felt just a, a sense of God moving her on. And uh, it is, uh, what I must say is that she has been uh, very close to us. She's, we've met many times, prayed together, uh, still don't know exactly what the future holds for you. However, we have spent time walking together, and she remains a daughter in this house. She, this is your place. This will always be home for you, and the door is, the door is always open. I know relationally we'll stay connected, but today's the day that we officially, from a church point of view, say goodbye to Esther. She's linked in with another church uh, in Centurion, and you can ask her all the details, but we just wanted to pray for her. If you've been around... Uh, up until kind of the beginning of this year, you would have known Esther as a champion. Uh, she has a great outreach heart, and uh, she really is just an amazing blessing in the kingdom, and I think greatly gifted by the Lord. And so we get to wish her well and ask the Lord to send you. So, Father, we thank you for Esther. We thank you for this daughter in this house. Thank you for our friend, Lord. And Jesus, we thank you for what you have for her. We're not sure, but we trust, Lord, that as she follows you, that you would lead her. And Jesus, we ask that your blessing would go with her, that you would uh, lead her and guide her. Lord, I would ask that you would open new horizons to her and increase her inheritance uh, that you have for her. Father, we're so grateful for all that she's sowed here at Grace Cove. We thank you that we serve together in this city and in the nations of the world. And so, Father, we pray your blessing on her in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So you get to say hello and all of those things um, after the meeting uh, with her. And... uh, have to be saying, I've, one thing I have been able to do, we've been scheming for next year. Uh, Matt Jones, who leads the church in Abu Dhabi, and I have been chatting backwards and forwards about a Middle Eastern tour. And uh, so we are starting to just trust the Lord. He's saying, how about um, Qatar, Armenia, uh, the UAE, that kind of part of the world. There's, we're slowly starting to see churches that we have connections with. And um, little evidences of the gospel. And so isn't it cool to be connected to geography that we don't even necessarily understand, but opportunities for the gospel to go out. So watch this space. And uh, we're trusting that the Lord will open some doors for us uh, to preach the gospel in places where it's very difficult. I trust you're praying at the moment, right? This world is in trouble and everyone's taking sides. This is what... What I tried to preach about last week, we have to be careful that the culture of the day wants to suck us in and uh, demand of us um, definitions that we're not ready to give. We stand with Jesus, right? And I uh, trust that you're praying. There are Christians all over this world. We're facing a number of wars right now, right? Right now. And if anything, 
we're trusting for opportunities for the gospel, right? Um, James, two weeks ago, led us as a church in prayer um, for uh, Israel, for Gaza, for all of that that's happening. It's amazing how Russia and the Ukraine have just kind of disappeared off the news cycle just because there's something a little bit more novel. I always wonder that we as human beings, we always want the new thing. And it's very hard to keep a heart over a longer time period for people. It's like, what's the news on about today, you know? And so I'm really trusting that from this tip of South Africa, uh, tip of Africa, we are able to reach out to the world, to partner in the gospel. And that's what Paul's talking about. Um, I, if you were here last week, that passage that I, that, that little quote that I read from Corrie Tenboom, a lady whose family members were, di- were killed in the concentration camps, who, um, was freed from the, tron- uh, the concentration camps by an administrative error in inverted commas. Um, she was told afterwards that she was given the release form, and as soon as she was released, they realized, oh, she, she shouldn't have got it. And remember when that, when someone said to her, man, how the Lord has blessed you to give you this fancy, you know, this comfortable life at the end of your life. Isn't the Lord good to you now? And she said, the Lord was good to me in the middle of the concentration camp as well. And part of this Colossians, he is more than enough, is understanding that where I live and what goes on in my head, is not as important as he who, as Micah reminded us, is sufficient and is more than enough. More than enough. The rest is just details. We do live in a in a real world, a tangible world, right? And I'm encouraging us to constantly keep our shields up, to be alert that we aren't becoming... Influence, but rather we are the influencers. Make sense? Next year, if you've been at Grace Cove for the last year or two, we normally kick off uh, from around about the beginning of February. We normally kick off what we call the church-wide campaign. Some of you will remember our gifted series. Remember, we all found out where our giftings were, and hopefully you've given, been given some courage to invest into those areas and then this year, we looked at the purpose series, understood that we all have a purpose, and I trust now knowing the giftings that you carry and the purpose that God's calling you to, you put those two together, and it helps us serve Jesus more meaningfully, right? So next year, the same time, same place, we will be kicking off a churchwide campaign called Identity. Now, it's a hot topic in this world today, isn't it? If ever we've been uncertain about our identity, it's now as a society. And, uh, you know, people spend so much money to find out more about who they are. And uh, there's so many more channels and avenues that we can find help. But I want to encourage you, the reason we do this is not just so that Grace Cove can polish our halos. Yes, we've said very clearly, we want to go from health not for health's sake, we want to go from health to reach, from gathering so that we can all have goosebumps to go. It's far, impo- far more important what God does in us here so that when we leave this building, He can do stuff through us, right? From gather to go and then from blessing, Lord bless me please, that we can be a base. And so I'm already starting to stir you guys. We need your lounge. And we need your courage to open your front door and invite some strangers and some friends into your home, into your canteen, into your boardroom, into your lift club, uh, you name it. And so uh, the goal of having these um, identity groups that will be meeting around our city next year is so that we can give opportunities for people nearby to connect with people that they know in a safer environment and find their real identity. We're not trying to just tell people, man, you're so good looking and so handsome and, and you know, you're special. No. Jesus died for me. That's what makes me special. That's what gives me, I have my identity in him, right? So I'm already challenging you. Wouldn't it be cool for us to get 20 plus groups meeting around our city? 
Okay, I have three nodding heads. I'm going to keep going until I find 20, and then I'm going to say, you're welcome. Just let Lily have your addresses. But seriously, guys, if you have a kettle, and if you have two chairs, then you can host one of these groups. And beyond that, it's a six-week commitment. Beyond that, we're trusting that they will multiply into many more life groups. We don't have enough life groups at Grace Cove to sufficiently care for the people God is adding to Grace Cove. And we have opportunities for you guys to have the privilege of looking after people at Grace Cove. Make sense? So, uh, when we are made new by God, we are immediately loved, forgiven, accepted, adopted, chosen, blessed with every spiritual blessing. We are the Father's delight, redeemed, spiritually rich, included, saved, secure, reconciled to God. We become an heir, God's possession, and so much more. In our identity series, we aim to help Christ followers better understand some of the amazing identity that becomes ours when we put our faith in Christ. So coming to a suburb near you, 2024, right? I trust you start to ask the Lord, God, is it me? And if you're going like, uh, uh, please don't let it be me, it's probably you. <laughs> That's how it works, right? Um, we'll, say some, we'll say more over the next while. But I really do want to encourage you to put your faith out, to say, man, maybe I can invite my neighbor, um, and so on and so on. Great. So Colossians, more than enough. We may well, uh, we'll see how we go. We may well have some time to come back and worship the Lord in our singing and waiting on Him. So I've asked the band just to be ready. But my heart this morning is as we look to Him and as we look to the Scriptures, that something inside of us responds. Beautiful time of worship this morning. Wasn't it cool? Anyone uh, unsure who we were singing about this morning? Anyone wondering what songs we were singing? Yeah? It was very clear the way Mike and Lily led us. Very clear who we're talking about. And it might just be cool for us to wait on the Lord again uh, once we've looked into the Word. So remember the book of Colossians was written from a place for a purpose. I want to continue to remind us that when we approach the Scriptures, we do it in a proper way so that we get the best out of the Scriptures. The Bible isn't made in my image. Jesus isn't my creation. It's the other way around. Yeah? And just like I always call it the, uh, what's his name? Moonwalk, uh, Michael Jackson passage. You know that Michael Jackson features in the Bible? Yeah? It says, the man who looks into the word and forgets it is like a man who looks into the mirror and goes away and forgets what he looks like. Michael Jackson said, I'm talking to the man in the mirror, right? And um, we see ourselves reflected in the scriptures. We don't see the scriptures reflected in ourselves. Do you understand? We want God to speak to us, not the other way around. So it's written from a place. Paul was in prison, written for a purpose, to encourage new believers who were facing some challenges. And Colossians is all about who we are in Christ. And that's not just a slogan. It's the importance, that word, in Christ. If you read the letters, who's, who's still reading the book of Colossians? Yeah, well done. I, I, keep, I keep going there. I had to jump out because God is saying something to me, but I'm back in Colossians again. I was like, oh Lord, do I have to like change books? But I'm back in Colossians this week and just loving it and keeps on telling us that we are in Christ. Remember I said last week, rooted in Him. We are the roots. He is the ground. Makes no sense for a plant, unless you're an air plant, to be out of the ground, right? We are in Him. We're in Him. And uh, the first two chapters, it's so fortunately Jesus helps us, you know. The first two chapters are about who we are in Christ. The second two chapters is who they, or how they are to walk in Christ. So first of all is the concept, it's the understanding, because that was where the challenge was coming from. And then it's the, so now what do I do? How do I walk out this new life in Christ? Paul writes to the church of Colossae after Epaphras, their church planter, 
comes all the way to Rome to tell him of what they're facing. Now remember, Christianity was just about 30 years old. And Epaphras had probably been saved around five years. So if you're saying, I don't know enough of the Bible to read a pur- to lead a purpose, uh, an identity group, then I want to introduce you to my friend Epaphras. And I can go through all the people in the Bible. Think of the little boy with his lunchbox. He didn't know the Greek or the Hebrew. Yeah? But he could serve Jesus in hospitality. Glossa had only had the gospel for around five years. It was an exciting, vulnerable, first new church plant in a new region. Man, it's time. <laughs> I'm so excited. Isn't it cool that Grace Cove recently planted Wawa and Zandi out in the, towards Krugersdorp, a place of Springs Church? But man, can I just say, we don't want to be here in five years' time saying, oh, isn't it cool we planted one church? You with me? <laughs> I mean, tell you, I've only had my family to talk to the whole week, eh? and the elders. The elders have been very gracious to see me a lot. It was a tenuous time for these churches and the gospel. God's heart is not just to keep them going, but His heart is to make them a model and a base. Not just to hang on until Jesus returns, but to be connected to an apostolic ministry with a heart for the whole world. So we've had a look at this, uh, this great book. And we said we begin with the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ, the exalted Messiah. Then we go into um, the end of chapter 1, beginning of chapter 2, this Messiah poem where we speak of the, the wonderful things about Jesus. Then uh, beginning of chapter 2 is about the suffering apostle. And Paul's saying, I'm so glad that I'm in jail. He says, this gospel is working. <laughs> Isn't it amazing? He, he's actually quite thrilled. Because he says, the reason I'm in jail is because I've been preaching the gospel. Therefore, it worked. No one, like people noticed. They realized. And there was enough power to make people unhappy. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Most of us would be going, oh, it's so terrible. I've got to work overtime today. You know, my life is so hard. I said, God bless you when someone sneezed. Now they're trying to cancel me. Oh, dear. My, we all have our crosses to bear. You with me? And Paul's like, please, you guys that I'm writing to, don't you be worried that I'm in jail. Like, like, please don't be embarrassed. Actually, this is how it's supposed to be. Isn't that amazing? It's like, times are tough. But that's the purpose. Like, it's working. If anything, if anything, we as individuals and as a church don't want to exist in our spheres of influence, in our fields, without people noticing us. And can I say noticing us for the right reasons? Yeah? Okay? Last week we spoke about the pressure to turn away, the pressure of religion and the pressure of the culture of the day to to distract them. And if ever we've been more steeped in the culture of the day, this is it. Um, If you know who C.S. Lewis is, he has a great Christian author and... um, theologian. If you can get a hold of it, in fact, I think I have the PDF. If you ask me nicely, I can search for it to send it to you. But he wrote a little book called The Screwtape Letters. And uh, it's the in- interaction between a junior demon and Satan himself and their campaign against Christians. Now, it was written, uh, James, 18, late 1800s, early 1900s, sometime a long time ago. And uh, this junior demon is, is scheming against the Christians, how we can uh, distract, how they can distract Christians from the purpose of Jesus Christ. And one of their great plans is the newspaper. We'll distract them from prayer and the scriptures by giving them the newspaper to read. I can't even remember how many advertising images the average child under seven sees in 24 hours. Media bombards us. If ever there's a moment where we need to stand firm under Jesus and not just become assimilated by what's around us, it's now, right? And so Paphrasy seeks uh, advice from Paul because these new churches are under great pressure to turn away. 
or to be led astray. And Paul's response is, Jesus is supreme and sufficient. Have you heard us say that before? I'm hoping if anyone even mentions the word Colossians, if you just see it on a list, you go, supreme and sufficient. That's all we need to know. And I also hope that he's not just supreme and sufficient when I'm feeling he isn't. Then I go back to Colossians and I get my vitamin B jab and I'm okay with Jesus again. But rather, he fills me and I am hidden in him in such a way it makes a difference to others, exactly like Paul's saying. All right, so let me move on quickly. So today we have a look at um, the resurrection life. So as I've said, we've spoken about the realities of who we are in Christ. Now we begin to have to walk it out. And so Paul says, I think to all believers, but especially to these Colossian believers, he says that they face Two ever-present dangers. Two ever-present dangers. The first is that they revert back to what I want to call Jesus plus. You can call it works. You can call it religion. You can call it doing it on our own. You can call it a lack of humility. Can I say being on crutches is terrible? I can't walk from one room to another without the help of at least one family member right now. Uh, it's embarrassing. It just shows you that you can't rely on yourself. But something in the heart of man and woman likes to rely on ourselves. And Paul says there's two great dangers. The first is that we go back to doing, that I work myself to becoming more acceptable to Jesus. I remember uh, my first year out of uh, a long time ago, my second year out of school, I'd gone away to Bible college, came home, I was studying theology from home. Uh, I met via a, a Polish friend. Uh, I met a, 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 a Polish um, Catholic priest in training. He'd come out to South Africa to visit, and because they're fellow Poles, they, they stayed together. And I remember talking to this man. And he was explaining to me how we need to work our way into God's good books. And in some ways, he was a couple of years ahead of me, but in some ways we were on a similar track. And, and I, I did everything that I knew how to, but, but Jesus accepted us. I'm in him. He has, I haven't created a space for me. He's welcomed me in. And it's so tempting that we go back to, Lord, I need to do things to get into your good graces. I hope, if you aren't free, I hope that you will be free this morning. We talk about this scandalous gospel. There's a fancy Latin word called scandalon. It's like, it's too good to be true. In fact, it's like talking about things you shouldn't talk about at the dinner table. I was raised well, still with roast. My earliest memories are were roast meat on the, on the Sunday dining room table and we all sat around with our napkins and our fancy cutlery and then as time went on and things got tougher we went to um, roast chicken and uh, then we probably ended up with toast you know those days but I still remember formal dinners do you you're not supposed to talk about politics or religion hey and there is this thing that that we don't think we should talk about but there is such a scandalous grace that I get off Scott free. I'm entirely guilty. The picture is one where someone commits murder. The blood is on his hands. The police come and they arrest him and they take him straight into the court with the evidence literally caught red-handed. The evidence of the, 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 the reality of his crime on his clothes and on his hands. And he stands in front of the judge. The judge listens to the eyewitnesses. He looks at the uncontrovertible evidence and he says, I have no option but to, to uh, uh, find you guilty, guilty of death. You deserve the death penalty. There is no mitigating circumstances. There is no opportunity to even minimize the sentence. You are guilty. And as the guards stand up to take him by the hand, the judge then gets off of the bench takes off his robes, takes the jacket of the guilty man with its blood and puts that on him. He says, you are absolutely guilty and I will pay the price in your place. And every one of us, but that's not fair. 
We all think that's great if you're the guy getting let off. But what if that was the person who harmed you? And there is a scandalous grace. And Paul says we can never go back to winning God's favor. We can please Him. We can be fruitful in Him. And in fact, God is most blessed when we are most fruitful, right? We, are, we point to Him best when we are able to share fruit with others, right? But my fruit doesn't make me any more saved or forgiven or guilt-free. And Paul's so strong with these people saying, you can't go to Jesus plus. It's Jesus plus nothing. In fact, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 3, writing to the Galatians, similar type of thinking. He says, after beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? It's like you go for one of those laser eye ops. You know those ones, they last 17 seconds and they cost you like a million rand? You know those ones? Like, it's a good gig if you can get it. Hey? And it's like the eye op guy, he aims his laser at your eyeball and he presses play on the computer and it gets halfway. And he says, you know what, I'm feeling like particularly skillful today. Let's switch the computer off. I'll just finish it by hand. Make sense? You, you understand what I'm saying? It's like we've got the God of all creation who's done everything needed. And here are these Galatians, Paul calls them foolish, which is actually a moral quality. It's not just, it's not just hey, you're stupid. It's like you actually, there's, there's something morally degenerate. And then he goes on to say, who has bewitched you? Who has put a curse on you? Who's, yeah. In South African suburbia, we're not too good at witchcraft. You know, we don't understand it. We're sanitized. But he's saying it's as though someone has come and put a fog over your brain that you're starting to try on your own when Jesus has done everything necessary. The very first problem, danger that we face is that we go back to Jesus plus. Can I guarantee something for you? If you have a week this week, Maybe you're rushing home and you drive at 130 k's an hour and you feel convicted by the Lord. I know that's a rash example. I get it. Maybe in frustration you use words that you shouldn't. Maybe you damage a relationship that breaks your heart. I would guess that all of a sudden you feel as though there's a distance between you and God, which the Bible speaks about. There's our sin separates us from Him. I can almost guarantee that your next response, if you want to get right with God, is, oh Jesus, let me read my Bible again. Not necessarily because I need it to feed my soul, but because I need to know that I've ticked a box. Jesus can't love me if I don't read my Bible. I hope you understand we must read our Bible because it's good for us. It's like I must water the plants. You know, no one says watering the plants is legalistic, right? Yeah, we've got some brand new plants in our garden. We're trying our best to keep them going. You know, we put water all the time. I read the Bible because it's like water to a thirsty land, right? But friends, can I be, can I help us? We draw close to God to grow close to God, not because it's Jesus plus. But Jesus, will you forgive me if I haven't prayed enough? He forgives us because Jesus paid enough every time. And Paul's saying to the Colossians, you guys are new Christians. We may be new Christians here. And even the old Christians, we've got to be careful. We've become the old brothers. And Paul says, no, that's a, one of the great dangers is that we lose sight of Jesus is sufficient and he is supreme. The second thing is he says the second danger is that there is the culture of the day overriding the new creation. Culture of the day overriding the new cre creation. In Colossians chapter 2 verse 19, he says these people who are arguing all this philosophical stuff, he says these people have lost connection with the head. Anyone ever slaughtered a chicken? You guys are very brave because half the congregation is going to cancel you because you. Forgive me. 
if I'm being politically correct. Trigger warning. Maybe you need to stand outside if you don't. It's just nature, okay? You take an axe to a chicken's head. You chop the head straight off. That chicken will continue to run around for a while. You chop a snake's head off. It continues. The muscles continue to contract, right? Yeah? In fact, they tell me that even a dead snake can still bite you if you're in the wrong place at the wrong time because of the, the muscle, yeah? And he says these people who are, are going to other philosophies, it's like they've lost connection with their head. They're still running around. They still look like there's life going there, but actually there's nothing because they are reverting to the culture of the day, whatever that may be. Sometimes it might be more licentious, which means anything goes, Sometimes it might be more strict, which me, which is religion. When I grew up, you, 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 uh, the very few shops. Remember the days when you couldn't go to the supermarket on a Sunday. Remember, you remember those days? Then you just couldn't go to the bottle store on a on a Sunday. I think some shops are still like that. You go into pick and pay, and they've got danger tape over the bottles of wine, you know, because it's Sunday. Culture of the day might shift and change, but when we lose sight of Jesus, we're given to this culture. Remember, we're to be salt and light. We are to be salt and light. We are to be the ones that influence our fields around us. Yeah? How's it going in your office? How's it going in your place of work? Are you the guy that keeps everyone going? Are you the jaunty roads of... XYZ company, come on boys, we can do it. Or are you being sucked into, oh yeah, you know, the economy, the management, my co-worker, the country. You understand? Paul's saying, man, when we lose sight of Jesus alone, when we lose, when we get absorbed into the culture, we face these two great dangers. Louis Giglio tells this cool story. He says, imagine two sons mowing the lawn. When I was growing up, I went through a very angry um, period where I was uh, far from the Lord and, and, and just angry with my parents and, and everyone. And I remember saying the only reason my father had sons was that they, so that someone could mow the lawn. And um, But picture, <laughs> picture two sons cutting the grass, mowing the lawn. The one son has a father that always points out, you miss this part, you cut that corner, you're not doing it properly, you're supposed to go this way around, not that way around, do a proper job, why are you taking so long, don't damage my machine, you didn't put the extension cord away properly. Picture that boy, he gets onto the lawn every time and and, uh, while they still fight, unless he capitulates, he's just hoping he can do a better job this time because maybe dad will love him. Picture another boy cutting the lawn. His dad saying, man, you're my boy. You cut the lawn the wrong way. I'll help you cut it right. You're still my boy. Man, you're doing a great job. Well done for trying. Which one do you think responds differently to the father? Friends, we're not here to keep our salvation by cutting the lawn properly. We're not here. We're here because Jesus has done enough. I want to say all of our faith is public faith. It must stick out. A friend of mine used to say, if I'm a, whatever, six-foot person and I have an eight-foot Jesus inside of me, he's got to stick out. I want to say that, that even when we talk about Colossians and Jesus is more than enough for me, I want to say that this is more than just about my personal improvement. So what is a Christian, man? It's, it's more than... Just trying to avoid giving in to works or culture or compromise. We need to be careful that we fail to grasp who Jesus really is and what he did on our behalf. And so Paul now takes all of what he said and he gives us two examples in chapter 3 and shows us how we work this out. Because of all that Christ has done for us and in us, we are radically different to anyone else. People should notice. Somewhere along the line in, in, in Unitas Hospital on uh, Sunday night and Monday morning, somewhere along the line, they found out that what I do for a living. 
And uh, someone wrote on my file, first of all, they got Colette and my names and ID numbers mixed up. So that was confusing. Uh, but then they managed to get my uh, occupation down as reverent. <laughs> I just thought I'd let you know so that you know that you're in like a fancy church because you have a reverent. And um, I had to keep saying to people, uh, oh, are you reverent, Mayor? Yes, you can call me Craig. Thank you. Um, and uh, then a couple of people, hey, Rev, how are you doing? It got even cool. So I was like, hey. But there was a sister whose name was Goodness. She came into my room the, the morning, and it had been a really rough night. It, it, it was just hospitals at night are not cool places, right? Uh, the one uncle on the other side really had a tough night. My neighbor was snoring, and uh, this lady turned up in the morning, and she said, Good morning. I can't remember if she... No, she didn't call me Reverend May. She hadn't read the file properly, apparently. And uh, she said, my name is Sister Goodness. And I thought instantly, I thought, ma, that's a fitting name. And I hadn't met her yet. She just said those words. And then as I was being discharged, she came back. She said, oh, are you a pastor? I said, yes, I am. You can call me Craig. She said, I knew there was something about you. She says, I'm a pastor too. And I said, I knew something about you. Do people know something about you? Haven't they noticed yet? When we slip into works and into philosophies and to trying to be part of the rest of the world, people stop noticing the sufficient supreme God that's in us. So Paul says there are these two things. He uses these two examples. He says one is that we are a new humanity and two, we are a new household. Let me look at new humanity first of all. Let's read uh, chapter 3, verse 1. It says, since then, you have been raised with Christ. Please remember this language. It's, it's really important. You have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts. Don't wait for the musos to have the right songs and get the tone just right so that you can feel Jesus. No, set your hearts. Set your hearts. They threatened to put plaster of Paris on my leg. It would have been set in a certain way. My foot would not have been able to move because it was set. He says, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Then he says, not just your hearts, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Phew. Can we be honest with each other that there are so many earthly things that grab our hearts? Tar baby, the anyway, it's like getting caught up, you know, with all those burrs. Brer Rabbit, thank you. You know the story of Brer Rabbit and the tar baby. He falls into a bramble bush and he just can't get out. It's like a huck in steak boss. It's like Velcro that grows out of the ground. The more you try, have you ever tried to take a piece of sellotape off your finger? The more you take it off, the more it gets on the other finger. Hey. It's like, man, earthly things stick. They stick. And Paul says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Isn't that amazing? Like, not only good in this life, but man, for eternity. He says, put to death, therefore. And remember the great philosophical brilliant Bible interpretation tool. When you read the word therefore, you look what it's there for. Therefore, because of Jesus and being raised and all of what I've just read, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways of life. In the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all these things. 
Another list. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on a new self which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of our Creator. Friends, I don't know how you feel. I was thinking when we were worshiping. If you've had a tough week when you come to church and we worship together, does it take you a while before you can like feel like you can look at Jesus, lift your head and actually let him notice your face? Does it feel like that ever? We, we feel like Adam and Eve hiding in the cool of the day. I heard you in the garden and I was guilty, so I hid. Hey? How do I say we come into a corporate worship moment? That's the best place. It's like, it's like getting plugged into the source. If I struggled on my own last week, me plus, Jesus plus, man, with him only, <laughs> I can make it this week. Yeah? And so it's as though we've taken off a jacket and we've put on a new jacket. Remember Joseph in say Deftige Pakklere, his Technicolor dream clothes. They saw him a mile away. They knew exactly who the, boy's, the father's favorite was because of his clothes. And Paul's saying to these Colossians, man, you might be new to knowing Jesus, but you've taken off one set of clothes. You don't even look like you used to look anymore. You've now put on a new one. When we went to Europe in, in March, Colette's mom made her a brand new quilted jacket. You may have seen it. It's big enough to go over jerseys and over everything else. It took hours of, of hand painstaking care. But if you see that one, you'll know who's in it. And you'll know who made it. And Paul says, man, you've taken that stuff off. Don't put it back on again. Clothe yourself, not just with good intentions. Clothe yourself with Christ. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with his practices. So the first example, he says, we're a new humanity. We don't even look like other human beings anymore. There should be something about us, friends. And we get to scatter. We gather together for meetings and then we scatter into our city we are agents behind enemy lines. We don't even look like the other people we see there. We should be radically different to those around us. We haven't just been to finishing school to mind our P's and Q's. It fascinates me when men say, oh, can I tell you the story? I wouldn't say it in mixed company, but because you're all guys, let me share with you. I'm like, I don't want to have language that's good for one group of people, not for another group of people. I'm clothed at Christ. Who I am in the pulpit should be the same guy you meet when I'm anywhere else. We're radical. We haven't just gone to get some, you know, behavior tips. Deep down, we are a different nature. He says, in fact, we're not just radically different. We're actually dead. <laughs> we're actually dead. Yeah, we're not in the we're not in the resuscitation business as as evangelists. We're in the Making new. We're radically different. We're dead, but we've been raised with Christ. So he says, therefore, set your hearts and your minds. Hearts and minds are interesting, hey? Minds speak about our affections, our loves, our dreams and desires. Set your affections on things above. Set your desires, your loves. Can I ask you, is there a love that competes with your love for Jesus? Right now in this world, there are so many hot topics that are doing just that. They're competing. They're competing. Whether they're legitimate or illegitimate, they can compete for our loves. Yeah? I can do good, but it mustn't take the place of Jesus. Our affections, our loves, our dreams, our desires. Then he says, set your minds. Minds are like intentions and attitudes and interactions. <laughs> the th stuff I do. The way I feel, the way I think. Set those, Craig. Set those, your name. Set those Colossians on Christ. Then he says, close yourself with Christ. I've said that already. Let me finish with this new household. Paul says, this Christ who is sufficient and supreme, this Christ, if he is who I've been telling you he is, 
then we don't even, we don't, we no longer look the same. We're not even the same kind of people anymore. Tebbs did such a great job about preaching. It's not your culture and my culture. I put up with your culture in church, you put up with my culture in church. No. We together embrace Jesus' culture. Yes? Yes? But Paul says, man, even your cultures change. You're not even the, the same humans you were. There's a new humanity that will be revealed at the end of the age. And you guys get to show that already. Is that cool? He says, this is what new humanity looks like in the home. Now, the first century Roman household would have been incredibly patriarchal. The wife, the children, the slaves, the servants would have been possessions of the master, the man of the house. Sounds great, doesn't it? Not a chance. But you don't understand how radical this thinking is. Just like the emperor can do anything in the nation, so the head of the household can do anything in the home according to first century culture. And he's saying to them, you know what? God has changed you from the inside. He's changed your eternity. Now, he'll change your home. He'll change your home. The way you interact with each other will be different and your neighbors will be scandalized. It'll stick out. There's everyone else in the... And so on and so on. Verse 18, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. And already the culture of the day is fighting with just that sentiment. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. And already the culture of the day is fighting with that sentiment. It's amazing to me the YouTube channels that have huge followers that fit into either of these camps. Children, obey your parents. (laughs) It gets better. For this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. And do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, working as for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. And anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs. There is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. I want to say the proof of Jesus is sufficient, more than enough, is that I'm a different human being, number one. And number two, I live in a different household. It's gone out of fashion, but does anyone remember that plant peace in the home? A couple of old people. Hey, I remember my mother always had a pot, and every time we moved from house to house, that pot of peace in the home came. And there was like the superstition around it. When the peace in the home plant started to fade, then the suggestion was like, oh, like, is there peace in the home? Hey? And this guy's saying, man, when people come into your house, they should go, like, are you burning a... Got one of those Yankee candles? Like, what's going on in here? Like, there's something here. Your neighbors should hang over the wall and go, what's happening? Not just your humanity, but your family unit, your households should be different. He says, we've taken off the old self, we've put on the new self, we're working as for the Lord. Paul's contention is that the way we live our lives, the way we live in our homes is a personal demonstration of resurrection life. We should be visibly different. Visibly different. Not so that we can look down on people, but so that we can stand out. It shouldn't be hard. (laughs) Yeah. all All the ideas that come to mind are difficult ones. Sure, we must worship. Your neighbor parks in your lawn. Visibly different. (laughs) Figure it out. We're a new humanity living out a new household as evidence and blessing of our new resurrection life. 
And Paul says, the best thing I can do to cement you in a confidence that we have in Christ is by proving to you he's more than enough and he's everything we need. Because of that, we live differently. We're a new humanity. And everything we do, the way I work, the way I engage with my family is different. So that I can have a nice life? Well, that's a pleasant byproduct. No, it's so that everyone around me takes note and understands that there is a supreme one that's captured my heart, can capture theirs. Let's stand. Musos, you can help us, please. Thanks. I wonder if you'd open your hands with me. We've still got a few minutes before half past. You might well have dragged yourself in here thinking, oh Jesus, I didn't get my stamps on my card this week. I need to measure up. Please don't. Just let them fool you now. If you've come in wearing someone else's clothes, clothes from that old life, that somehow <laughs> creep back. Just take them off. Clothed in Christ. Then as we heard Mike and Lily's example, so profound. Maybe you feel shattered and the purpose is lost. You know where we get that purpose from? It's from him, his supreme clothing us. In Christ. These guys are going to sing, but uh, I'm just looking at your faces. Can we disengage? If you don't know what I mean, uh, it's just it's a habit we can learn. Helpful for me to close my eyes. You don't have to. We're not going to do anything to you. But just take a moment and just begin to think of Jesus, God of all creation. Quiet in your hearts. Stop thinking about other things. Even the accusations of the devil. If you don't know Jesus here this morning, man, all you need to think of is that there is a Christ, a Jesus who died on the cross, who would welcome you this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Sometimes it helps me to open my hands. It's just a, it's a way of showing that my heart is open. Thank you, Lord. Just let Him reach out and touch you now already. You can do this in the car. You can do this in the boardroom. You can do this in a church building. Thank you, Jesus. Sweet presence of God. Thank you for your scandalous grace, Lord. We don't have to measure up. You measured up. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for healing. We've already asked. Thank you that you are our ultimate purpose in Jesus' name.